If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? That's a great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? What's up, guys? We are back with the Wine Jar Cynics podcast. Dio, Gene, and Mac. Mac. I, I, for a second, I thought you were going to do what you said you were going to oh, do Mac before. I was preparing for it. I was ready. I was like, getting damn. sources and then, <laughs> Yeah, getting the, the editing tools out. I, I forget. What was I going to do? Let's start. Uh, before. <laughs> All right. Well, la last topic was uh, uh, really, last topic I thought it was going to be more about prepping, but it's more about survivalists. Actually, I think that conversation kind of changed my mind, too. I'm, I'm I think it can be summed up that prepping is kind of stupid if you don't also do survivalist skills. Mm -hmm, survivalist yeah. skills are useful even if you don't prep. Yes. That's, that's I think, the conclusion. Yeah. All right. So today, today is going to be about uh, uh, Musashi Miyamoto. So you happen to... I think you know about him way more than me. So let's start about... Um, about what you like about his philosophy or his book. Have you read the books on Miss yeah, Five I, Rings and stuff like that? I, I've So I'll tell you the truth. I mean, when I was younger, um, Musashi was, was one of my heroes. I read a lot about him. That being said, I'm, I'm much older than I, I should be. So <laughs> I, I haven't read anything about Musashi in quite a while. Um, but he's I still don't know enough to know he, he's a fucking badass. Um, first, what got you into him? That's what I'm trying to wonder. And so, I, guess, yeah. I think first, who who is he? Oh, who so is he? Yeah. So for the people who don't know, so um, Musashi Miyamoto was a samurai back in. That was me raising my hand for people oh. who don't know. <laughs> I raised. Oh, my I thought hand. you, you fuck, <laughs> stop doing that. This is, this place is haunted. Remember, I thought you were looking at something again. Yeah, Dial likes to look over the uh, over the know, shoulder. At some remember, point, at some point, someone did open that door. Oh, that's, okay, that's freaky. Okay, like first a real person or, or ghost? I think it's not the shadow people I was, was talking about. Peeking in, and oh. just listening in. I thought okay. it was the sh the shadow people for a second. Maybe it was a cat. Cat's like. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Playing with me. I mean, uh, the way I would talk about Miyamoto Musashi is he is the greatest swordsman in Japan, right? Uh, that's what so, that's how I always hear about. So he's like a legend or like a cult figure. He's well, no. So so he he was a samurai who has like he was a fucking savage. I mean, is really the best way to sum him up. He started dueling like life or death duels when he was thirteen years old. He had over the course of his life and and his dueling years I were. It wasn't even that long relative. He had like 60 one-on-one -on -one duels, and he won them all. By the end of his dueling career, he no longer needed to use a sword. He used a stick, and he beat the guys who were using swords. It's like Khabib. Sounds like, um, what's it called, the cynics. They used to have a staff, too, and they'd whack people with it. Except he killed them with it. And uh, Oh, he, wow, okay. Because these were life-or-death duels, right? And he, uh, he was the founder of the two-handed... Or the two-sword fighting system. Yeah, that's the interesting part. I mean, at that time, what century was he born in? I, have, I couldn't tell you that off the top of my head. But I'm thinking it's... Was that unorthodox at the time? No, it was very unorthodox. It was so people that... Because used, most people did single, right? Yeah, so people that used two, one hand on a sword were the barbarians. The barbarians were one hand samurai. Japanese, they used two hands on the sword. 
Um, and then Musashi's like, nah, fuck that. Got two hands. I should have two two blades. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd use the katana in one hand and he'd use the, uh, what's the other sword? The wakizashi as the, uh, as the other one. Yeah, born uh, March 12, 1584. Is that a shorter blade? It's a shorter blade, yeah. But he would use that as... Just that, like you should. Ha- other than that, same style. No, so it was a very different style. So I mean, the the stances of Japanese swordsmanship before then. There's, you know, the two hands out in front where the tips kind of angled up facing mm-hmm. your opponent. There's down by the waist where the tips facing away, mm-hmm. um, where it's parallel to the ground. There's the ones where it's up, pointed up, mm-hmm. kind of back by you know rear guard. Um, <coughs> and his was kind of like more relaxed. So he would basically hold them with his hands down at his side and the blades facing diagonally up, uh, kind of at a 45 each direction. Is that like the guy from Mortal Kombat? Is he based off of him? Probably. The stance was probably based off of him. I, I remember he hold, held it in that same way. Yeah, like just kind of relaxed like this, facing back and forth. And yeah. Yeah, he'd come in. And so his... I forgot his name. I forget the name of his school of swordsmanship, but it was... He, he didn't care that people thought it was... Um, Thought it was dishonorable. Thought it was barbaric. He he's like, nah, this is battle. We're here to win. Yeah, apparently at the I know we're kind of I guess spoiler alert. Last last battle we had at Ganryu Island is that what they call it against uh, uh, Kojiro? Mm-hmm. And he he apparently he used the uh, uh, was it Kojiro? the oar? Yeah, he used. So this is this is his last duel. If if I remember correctly, is this guy? Uh, I think it was Kojiro, and uh, this guy was a. I mean, same thing. He was a badass swordsman in his own right. But he was more traditional, as orthodox, they, right? They He's, all were. They yeah. Didn't. Really quickly, did he start the two-hand, like, swords when he was young? No, no. He developed it over okay. as he got older. When he was young, he won just because of savagery. Like, I mean, he didn't have much technique at all. He just was a fucking beast, right? Um, but, yeah, he... Um, so, yeah, he, he he's... There's this uh, duel with this Kojiro guy, and uh, it's on this island. And so he, this shows, like, his strategy. He was – you could think of him as, like – He was a warrior philosopher. Well, he was – you would think of him he, as, like, a contemporary of Sun, uh, Sun Tzu. Right? Really? Well, and not not in, like, time frame, but in terms of topic, right? They were both military strategists and um, really kind of the philosophy of war. And so what he did is he they scheduled you know the time for, for the for the duel to be, like at a certain time in the afternoon. So Kojiro gets there early and he's waiting, waiting, and Musashi intentionally keeps him fucking waiting longer and longer and longer, until um, Koji Surata. That's the I think that's his arch rival. I think that's what, yeah, Koji Surata. I mean this. Uh, Kojiro, yeah, yeah, Sasaki Kojiro, Sasaki Kojiro, yeah, that was his last duel. So anyway, yeah, he he gets this guy really like worked up because he's late, and then he shows up, rows his boat over right, and just kind of paddles over, hops out with the paddle, um, because it's late in the day, the sun setting, so he has the sun to his back, so that Kojiro is looking right into the sun. Uh, the duel starts. Kojiro's so mad he like throws his, um. He throws his, his sheath on the ground, right? And he pulls out his sword, throws his sheath on the ground. I think Musashi said something where he's attributed to have saying something like, the moment you threw your sheath is the moment you lost or something like that. They they engage. This guy charges ahead full of anger and just pissed off. Musashi ends him quite quite quickly. 
gets back in the boat and throws away. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like light work. Fucking savage, man. He was known. Uh, he was known to have uh, never gotten a haircut, never taken a bath. Um, there's like legendary accounts that he got ambushed while he was taking a bath one time, um, and because of that, he was just always ready. Um, towards the end of his life, he put all of his learning into the Book of Five Rings, which, as I said, similar to how uh, Sun Tzu is with, uh, you know, the art of war. People from military personnel to, you know, business executives read the Book of Five Rings because of its strategic way of thinking, right? So, yeah, he was he was an unorthodox samurai, but he was he was easily easily the most famous samurai outside of Japan, if not in Japan as well. Yeah, and he's um kind of a polymath actually. It seems like he's a swordsman, philosopher, strategist, writer, and also they consider him a ronin. Yeah, it's- yeah. So he would have been a well. So I mean that that was all warriors back in the day. Very few warriors just especially in Japan, the same way like in Greece, in China, there was a number of skills that you learned to be a well-rounded warrior. It wasn't just killing arts. You knew healing arts. You knew art, painting, poetry, carving, something along those lines to kind of refine your soul in addition to just, you know, taking lives. Well, I mean, stoicism would make, or not even stoicism, but the stoic attitude that's universal would make sense teaching that in all warriors, regardless of uh, culture. Because, I mean, if you're going to fight somebody, I mean, you probably will die, right? If you if you lose the duel. But don't let that uh, fear control you while you're fighting. So I imagine that that's why philosophy would make sense and, and, teach, and teaching them uh, that code. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's... Do you know more about his martial arts background or, or do you know more about his uh, philosophy background? Um, honestly, just general. I mean, I imagine his, I know he served in some wars um, under a under a lord and there he would have learned basic skills. But again, I think he had already killed a man by the time he signed up for to be a soldier. Um, he worked his way up. He was held in pretty high esteem towards the end of his life. He had, um, I don't think he ever had kids. I think he adopted a son at one point um, who I think died. And after he died, he went and that's when he, he wrote the book of five rings in like self-isolation. He like retired to a cave or something. And that's when he just wrote. Um, And I think he died shortly after that, if I'm not mistaken. Don't, don't quote me on any of this stuff, guys. This this is most of the knowledge I know about Musashi was read when I was between like thirteen and fifteen years old. So, what made you want to like him? I guess that's the point of the the episode. Really, it's not really about the minutia. I mean, if you want to hear the minutia, that's we can the, read the yeah. Wikipedia page to you if you really want. But no, for me, it was uh, my teacher, um, my martial art teacher in Kaju Kimbo. He was very. Um, Similar, similar to how the, the, the warriors of old would have been. He, he believed in training your mind and your spirit the same way you train your body because otherwise you're just a thug, right? You're just Yeah, it makes sense. You're, you're just a brawler. So one of the things we had to do to move up in the school was to read, um, read books. And he would have a list of books we had to read. Um, and then we would literally write reports about them. And like part of the testing process for promotions was to like, 
kind of defend your thesis. Like you would talk to people about like what they'd ask you questions about it. And, um, and that was part of your training. That was just as important as your physical training. <clears throat> and so one of the books that we read was the book of five rings. And I'm not going to lie to you. There was a lot of it that went over my head. <laughs> it's not a long book, but as with most of these like translated works on military strategy, I had a hard time kind of seeing how it applies to not yeah. military things. Cause mm-hmm. it seems very specific. My, I haven't read it in years. My guess would be, in fact, this might be the inspiration. I need to pick it up again. Um, because there is, uh, a lot of good things in there. One thing that I do remember was the, um, it was like the master of one is the master of all. And this was, Oh, is that the, the, the teacup and the samurai? It, it, it ties, it ties into the teacup. And but the, they're separate. The tea master and the samurai. Yeah. It's not the same thing, but it ties into the same philosophy of Japanese, um, kind of Zen, um, the meditative approach to all things like the, the, the mind, no mind, being completely in the present and being completely, I think some people call it flow state. It, a lot of it is based on this, I think, emotion, right? Um, <clears throat> and this was basically, uh, but for, for Musashi it was different. So the, the master of one is the master of all, is um, as I remember, somebody who de- takes the time and the effort to devote themselves to mastering something, right? Once they have achieved a level that other people would consider master, they possess the skills necessary to be a master of anything. Because the the road to mastery, it doesn't matter what pursuit you're following, it's the same steps. It requires mindfulness. It requires being uh, consistent, being dedicated, working hard, you know, constantly growing constantly constantly having a beginner's mindset and that you never actually the master never actually thinks he's a master the master views himself as a beginner constantly right and if you have those then you you know you have the ability to master everything and uh, it kind of like so i'll explain it it. makes actually it makes sense because you've mastered the process and the process can be applied (laughs) to different um well it's subjects it's, it's not just the process but it's the mindset that the process creates Right. So a ma- and and this is where the tea, the the tea master comes in. So there's a story, uh it gets passed around martial arts circles quite a bit. I'm sure some if not all of your viewers have heard, but uh I I'll re I'm yeah, I don't know too much about our viewers yet. They haven't commented, but I, if I'm hoping they have a, a background that's kind of like martial arts that'd be interesting. Well, well, I'll go ahead and and talk on it. So so basic story, I'll try to sum it up is back in old time Japan there's a there's a tea master, um, and there is a samurai, and they're crossing the bridge. And the the tea master, he didn't um, like he bumped into the samurai, something like that. Uh, the samurai's pissed off, and he's like, "You know, bitch, I'm gonna fuck you up." <laughs> and <laughs> that's, and how they, that's how they would put it back then. And, you know, the tea master's shaking in his boots, like, "Oh no, you know, I got a lot of reasons to live." And he's like, "All right, well, you know what? I'm gonna do you right. Um, go ahead, take a day." Meet me like a man. We're gonna, we're gonna duel. We're gonna duel like like samurai, right? And uh, this is, at this point, it's the samurai's kind of showboating, right? He's he wants to just crush this guy. If he doesn't kill him, he wants to crush him, right? Crush his spirit. So this tea master, he's doing all right for himself. So he's got some money. He goes and he's looking for a swordsman to teach him how to fight and protect himself. So he meets the swordsman, 
Guy says, yeah, I'll train you. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, and he buys a, buys a little cheap sword. And uh, they sit there and they're going over techniques over and over and over again. Um, and the the team master's not getting. He's an old man. He's not a fighter. Uh, and eventually, all day long, you know, it's getting. It, they train through the day. They train through the night. They train through the next day. And you know, it's getting close to the duel at sundown, right? And uh, and eventually, the guy's like, "Man, I don't know what to tell you." I think you're going to die. <laughs> and so the team master's like, fuck, this sucks. And he's like, well, thirsty. Why don't you make us some tea? So he's like, all right. So the team master sits down, opens up his little tea set, and instantly a change comes over him. And he starts setting up his tea, and he starts going through all the motions, right? And the swords, the swordsman's looking, and he's like, holy shit. Sits down, has the tea. Tea ceremony concludes. All of a sudden, team master starts getting kind of like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And the guy's like, look, you've already, you have the answer, all right? What I want you to do is uh, when, the, when, the, when you go to the duel, just take your sword, hold it over your head, and I want you to get in that same mindset that you have when you're doing your tea ceremony. He's like, the fuck? He's like, no, trust me. Just do that. You're going to die. You're absolutely going to die. Get in that mindset you have when you're doing the tea ceremony. Hold the sword up. When he gets close enough, just swing that fucker down and take his head off. Take him with you. So he's like, all right, cool. I can do that. So they meet. The other samurai, you know, he's he's showboat and he's talking shit. Tea ceremony guy, he's he's real shook. But sure enough, you know, they draw swords. Uh, the tea master pulls the sword over his head, holds it there, and some change comes over him. He's, he's gone into his Zen mode now, right? And uh, the, the, the samurai comes up and he's trying to find an opening. But he's looking at this guy's eyes and he realizes... This guy's, you know, he realizes where his mind is, and he realizes that he'll probably kill him, but he's going to die in the process. Um, at the end of it, Samurai takes a step back, sheathes his sword and bows and says, yep, duel's done. We're good here. <laughs> and, and so the moral of the story, that ties back to the, the master of all. Mastery in, in Japanese culture is so much more than just a skill. It's really the mindset that accompanies it, you know, um, it's that motion. It's that ability to enter kind of a flow state. And so that story kind of shows that really well. I, I actually um, was uh, thinking about this, too, because um, one of the episodes I wanted to talk about, um, the magnum opus, kind of like... It, like alchemy? No, not magnum opus. It's an al- and al- that's the Philosopher's Stone. Also, we'll talk about that, too. But um, mastering... Kind of like the that one discussion we wanted to have about like passion versus um hard hard work, right? Or what you're just naturally good at. Like if you if you're naturally good at something, you can't you can never go wrong. And if you never go wrong, you could you're probably gonna be a master at it, right? Whether you like it or not, and that can help you in developing yourself a lot too. That's why I put a stress on a magnum opus. Oh, I thought I was gonna turn a, a great a great work. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was going to turn into like Mr. Miyagi wax on wax off. Like the whole tea <laughs> thing ends up being like. And then he was <laughs> a master. <laughs> Served, just, just, just swing <laughs> the sword like you're serving the tea. <laughs> I'll never see it coming. No, no. I kind of thought that, not going to lie. I, I thought that was going to happen too. I thought he was just going to smack him with his teapot in his head and, just, and knock him out. Which probably, I mean, probably would have been kind of effective. That's, I'm going to rewrite that story. 
Hey, Japanese no, no, Japanese people, you don't know what the fuck you're talking let's, about. Let's do it. Actually, yeah. Let's let's do it in a blog. Yeah. It turns out he actually the smacked him. The real team master. The real team master. He would just smack him in the head as hard as he could with the pot and he just knocked him out. Turns out he was a ninja. He, and he, he was serving the tea and he's just like, yeah. He just said, I don't know, right? Breath his tea, tosses in his face. Oh, no, no. The, I remember, uh, Pineapp- remember Pineapple Express when he, uh, well, you watched the movie, right? Pineapple Express when yeah. he, he throws the hot uh, coffee on the. The guys oh, are yeah. trying to kill him. Yeah. Just get a bunch of hot water and just, yeah, just throw it in his face. Pocket sand. Just have it prepped and ready to go. <laughs> That's how I could see it happening. He just like blinds him in his face with hot water, grabs his own sword and stabs him. Yeah, I think that's how the story should have gone. But um, what about Vagabond? I know like I'm not really into that. Uh, I don't know too much about it. So how similar is Vagabond to the original story? Is it the same? I believe it's the same. I and so I started reading Vagabond. By the way, is like I guess it's like a, a comic, Japanese comic, right? It's yeah. So oh, based off of yeah, based, based on, off of Musashi. So, so people want to know about manga. it. Yeah, they should. I again, this was many many years ago. I'm sure the series concluded when I was started. Many reading moons it. ago. Yeah, many many moons. Uh, when when the uh, when the comic started, I think I read they had published a couple volumes or something i read the first few it was pretty cool i mean it's 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 manga so i mean it's it has the stuff in there but i mean so like musashi is it shows him as a kid and like his father's you know super badass but he's kind of a piece of shit yeah wasn't his father abusive to him that's kind of why he became a warrior too well he was a piece of shit and kind of a drunk and like the mom died and so he was this wild child and this like samurai came to town who was just a dick and he's like i'll challenge anybody and he's like i'll fight you and uh yeah he he ended up killing the guy and uh so like the theme through that they keep bringing up uh so he just had some natural skills so this was without any training (laughs) yeah that's so that's what yeah yeah. so he kind of he did the talent in this case existed he the talent just had a knack for it, yeah. and and again, it's a lot of it is because he was just he was a wild child, according to the comic. I mean, there's a book called Musashi, which is it's a big old novel, and it's just ha- it has some historical basis, right? It has, it has a lot of historical basis. That's I mean, it's it's a uh, not a fully fictionalized, but I'm sure it's embellished in some areas for narrative purposes. But this is like the go-to for the life of Musashi because of it. You had the vagabond manga. Um, because of it, you had the Samurai Trilogy, um, directed by, uh, what's his name? Famous Japanese director. Jamie, pull that up. No. <laughs> <laughs> type, uh, type in um, Samurai Trilogy. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. It's 1954, right? Yeah, it's it's older. It's Is it Akira? Uh, Hiroshi Inagaki. That's the director? Yeah, and it's Samurai Trilogy, right? Samurai Trilogy. These are really... I've watched those uh, when I was younger. Uh, Really good movies. But they're based on the novel, um, which is just called uh, Musashi. Um, Yeah, he looks like a rugged person if the way they depict him here in this um, poster. I wish we could uh, have this in video format, but if you look at him, he he looks very, like, not unkempt, but... Type in uh, the... Um, Actor? Ser- ser- no, search for the images of uh, book Musashi book. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, he has a. He has a a lot of he has a goatee and. Well, he, I don't think they had beards back then either. I don't think samurai. Yeah, I don't think just kind of like the Romans too, right? They yeah. they would um shave. So he was. I mean, he had facial hair. He had just wild hair and stuff. Just oh yeah, smelly, he looks. Yeah, he looks wild. Man. Yeah, and that was the I big thing. Up. He was really not. Um, he wasn't down with all the pomp and circumstance of samurai. Well, there's yeah culture. that. The thing he, he was very, very like you know. He was an elitist. No, not at all. He he was like what works. He was a, he was a f- warrior. He, he was, was a, a pragmatist. Well, he was a, yeah, he was a warrior. He, whatever works works. It doesn't matter about the process or whatever. Just is it Musashi? I searched Musashi. It comes up with Musashi sushi. <laughs> oh, but I see. I've seen this. I've seen this image before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Cool. And then they got a lot like vagab. If you look up Musashi uh, vagabond. You'll see a lot of the style comes from there as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, he looks very cool. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's really cool. All right. So um, next question about Misashi um, Miyamoto. Speaking of the elitism, too, that's... Mm-hmm. Um, have you... Pl- you know Ghost of Tsushima? Who? Ghost of Tsushima, like the new game, is like a, a game about... Um, Japan being invaded by the Mongols. Mm-mm. Okay, so that's an interesting thing that they uh, that they incorporated in, in the game. So in the beginning of the game, and I don't want to get too nerdy or geeky, but pretty much, I mean, it's based on history. The Mongols invade Japan, and what what happens is the samurai on the on the I think it's Komodo Beach. That's what they call it. And Tsushima, the Tsushima, it's not on the mainland. Um, these Mongols invade, and they have these ships. And then they come out, and one of the samurai comes out and kind of greets them and says, "I am the descendant of this samurai, right?" And you know, he just gra- one of the the not Kublai Khan, um, one of the Mongol leaders just takes some fire and just like puts some oil, puts some oil on him and just burns them. He's like, "I don't care," which is interesting if you see the warrior ethos of the Mongols and the Japanese. I, I thought like, that the Mongols never actually invaded. I know they tried. But they they failed at the end of Tsushima. No, no, didn't the 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 great wind the the kamikaze didn't that like kill all their boats? Um, took place in twelve forty seven. There was two invasions. I know one. And twelve eighty one. That's where the word kamikaze. Comes they were from. major military efforts undertaken by Kublai Khan of the Yuan Dynasty to conquer Japan. My man, Archipel- Kublai Khan. Archipelago after the submission of the Korean kingdom of Gori- Goryeo to Vasildom. Kublai Khan's a cool name. Yeah, and yeah. From Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, so it looks yeah, like the there was an invasion, just it was unsuccessful. And it wasn't on the mainland. It was in the Japanese island of Tsushima. So it's a lot disconnected. So that's, that the warrior ethos is very interesting in Japan because it seems like they're very pompous, elitist, and... Kind of like the Athenians back then, uh, the Athenian philosophers, we were talking about this in the history of Kinesism, that if you wanted to learn philosophy, you had to be, you know, purely ethnically Greek and all that good stuff. And you had to be essentially noble, a Greek citizen, a male, rich. And it's crazy uh, It's how in Japan as well, they have that elitist status. No, I I looked it up. Sorry. But yeah, kamikaze comes from. Uh, it means divine wind. It comes from the name the Japanese gave to a typhoon that destroyed the Mongol ships in the 13th century, 
save the country from invasion. Well, the well, yeah. I'm just saying, like in the in the game Ghost of Tsushima, they they dramatize it and they okay. it's about them doing that. But let's say that did happen. I mean, it sounds characteristic of the Mongols to because they were a meritocracy in, in, Mo- in Mongolian uh, culture. It's whoever. It, that's the special thing about um, Genghis Khan, Temujin. He he didn't really believe in all this status and well, their sense of honor was very different. Yeah, it's this, like this is like the difference between the Romans and the Greeks. So, like if you read the uh, the Odyssey, um, they talk about a lot how Odysseus got through a lot of the the things is through trickery, kind of being a shit, right? Being foxy and wily was a re- like they refer to Odysseus as the wily and brave Odysseus, as though it's a virtue. But the Romans were very much closer to like what you'd think of as samurai like the honorable and brave i think they call it yeah they call it, the romans call it uh gravitas i think that's what they call it strength and honor yeah they call it uh dignity seriousness and or solemnity solemnity of manner gravitas one of the ancient roman virtues that denoted seriousness it also translated variously as weight dignity and importance and connotes restraint and moral rigor it also conveys a sense of responsibility and commitment to the task. So that sounds very similar to the Bushido. But I, that's what's interesting about the, um, let's say, the Spartans and the the Mongolians. They're just pragmatists. They didn't really care about that. It's like whatever wins, wins. Right? So that's what's interesting, interesting to me. Do you know a lot about the... Um, aren't you a Mongolian fan? You're the one who told me that... Oh, no, no. You were talking to me about Conan the Barbarian. I, I do love Conan, but um, no, I love Mongols. Mongols are pretty badass. But yeah, that that game was very interesting. It, had, it got a lot of controversy for some reason. Uh, there was um, some Chinese people who were mad and said, oh, we side with the Mongols or something. <laughs> I mean, they literally, it was the Yuan Dynasty. Yeah. So it was China when it was ruled by the Mongols. So there's so that. they're just upset about <laughs> history? <laughs> they're just upset. No, no, but that was a very... That I know this. <laughs> I don't want to make this a grapevine where we kind of just talk about this st- stuff, but I don't know. I just I had to include it just because I thought that was interesting how they kind of got I mad. Mean, Ch- China, if you're listening, I fucking love you. You got to know that I love you. But let's be real, man. There were numerous times in your history when you were ruled by outside forces that were not the Han people. And what did you do? You rose up and you made them Chinese, one of your various ethnic groups. Same with the <laughs> same with the Romans too. Yeah, exactly. So they I had mean, you, you don't need to be ashamed because you got Mollywomp back in the day. You guys, it's the Han back in charge now. You're good. Same thing with the Manchurians. They're almost extinct. That's all you. Well, actually, the Romans <laughs> is different. They they uh, they assimilated the people as generals, but I don't think there was ever a barbarian non-Roman general actually. Come to think of it, I had to look that up. I think there was actually, but it wasn't common, and it was Trajan, first emperor born from a non-Latin Rome family was Trajan, and who was born in Italica, Spain. But there were still like people Spain. who were Romanized, you know what I mean? So they're not totally different. Whereas that the the Mongols who became the Yuan Dynasty, they were like completely different people. No, no, well they yeah. they didn't stay different for very long. Yeah, yeah, I mean Kublai Khan was. In fact, that's one of the reasons people think the dynasty didn't last was. Because they were so into Chinese culture that they went down and they 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 Chinese themselves up. That <clears throat> that was uh, Kublai Khan's son was he had a Chinese name, 
right? So it was, uh, yeah, no, they, 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 they went to conquer China and then they became Chinese, which again, this is what happens in the history of China. People go to conquer them and then they become Chinese themselves and then the Han just take over again. And then with the Romans, it's opposite. <clears throat> they go to other country and make them Roman. They did it to the... Um, well, they got infiltrated pretty good by, uh, by the Greeks terms of art and mythology and well, philosophy from what i understand that's from the etruscans and the etruscans they i don't want to go into it because i don't want to make this about the etruscans and the, their greek influence and how they influenced rome mm. and etc cetera, etc cetera. but the etruscans were essentially um they had traded with greek i mean the greeks actually the people like to make them as if they're separate people the greeks and the romans but the greeks have been in, in the roman in, in the Italic Peninsula for a long time. Well, that's, that's why they call it, you know, Greco-Roman culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Culture. So, and whereas, yeah, with the Japanese and Chinese, they're pretty separate. But people like to munch them together. All because of a writing system. Yeah, all because of the writing system. But if you think about it, they're, it's not the same scenario. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean it's, not, it's not just the writing system. I mean, Japan definitely inherited a lot of... Chinese aspects and culture from the no, Tang Dynasty. Because, because one of the, I mean, we can look at a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. From the from the Tang Dynasty, they they, what do they say? If you go to uh, Osaka, I think, like if you want to look like if you want to look what a Chinese city looked like during the Tang Dynasty, I think it was go, Kyoto. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're at right. Kyoto. Yeah, then that's where you would go because they preserved it so well. A lot of that stuff came from China. So. Zen, which is so integral to the stuff we're talking about, China, or Japanese martial arts, is is Chan Buddhism in China. Mm-hmm, so yeah, it's <clears throat> and in China it has a big influence on martial arts too. So, um, yeah, no, they got they got more than the writing system, but definitely, which is natural. For yeah, yeah, yeah. All cultures and countries mm-hmm. that border other are near. Yeah, exactly. It's they just uh, I think it's a little different because the Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans are so which we could call like the big three Confucian based societies. Right. Don't they call them the three tigers of Asia or that? Probably. That wouldn't surprise me. There's that term that the tigers of Asia or something like that. I think it has to do with economics, though. If so, it's more than three, though, because I know Singapore is included. Or the four tigers. Well, I, I know. So those three, because they're so heavily influenced by. Oh, yeah, yeah, the four Asian tigers. Hong Kong, Singapore, Th- South Korea, and Taiwan. That's once, economic. Yeah, once fascinated the economic world from the early 1960s until the 1990s. They, they regularly achieved double-digit growth. No, I'm, I'm talking about just culturally, though. They're, the, they're based on, a, again, Confucian um, societies. Yeah, right? but I understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, but I'm, the difference is, is that even though they have these connections, these things that connected them, um, the difference is, is for a very, very long time, they considered themselves different people, like unique people. Like the Japanese are very sold out on being Japanese. And then, but I remember the Chinese originally believed the um, Japanese were barbaric because they had a a warrior class ruling them, whereas the Chinese had a had a diplomatic bureaucratic class that had consolidated power. Well, they all thought they were barbaric. They all thought everybody else was barbaric. Mm-hmm. All, all of them. Which is funny because all those cultures originated kind of in Korea. <laughs> like the Korea-China border, that's pretty much the cradle of of that civilization, those civilizations. Dio, weren't you in Korea? Yes. What do you had? I like how, how him being in Korea has to do with um, 
the historicity of the the claim he made, but what's your idea on that? What he just said? I've seen. Well, they always <laughs> there's always the claim. You just, you just hear from people. But I no, I don't want to make this about China. But I was remembering something real quick. Because I, I, <laughs> I, I remember when I went to China, I asked him about what do you, th- how do you see yourself as somebody in a greater uh, part of Asian like unity. I don't know how how I explain it, but it's like. Because people like to see themselves as, oh, well, I'm Chinese, I am Korean, I am Taiwanese. But it's like, yeah, you guys are all Asian, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I told no, no. I, I just I was trolling. I was trolling some Chinese guy, and then he told me, no, no, no. But they are Chinese. They're the, we we used to own them. That's how they would see it. I thought that was very interesting. Their their way of seeing it, the, and they would be. What, didn't they yeah, also say kind of things like that too to you? I think that's just a thing, though, across the globe. Same thing would happen in Africa, South America. Yeah, that's true. But I thought it was interesting here from a Chinese person. And I think one of them, actually, I, I kind of told him about this. And he's like, I kind of gave him that smarmy comment. And he's like, no, no, they'll be part of us sooner or later. We'll regain back what we lost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chinese guy. Yeah, Chinese guy told me this, and he specifically he said, "Not surprised." He Korea, South Korea first, and then Uh, take back. China is definitely much more imperialistic. No, but it was interesting hearing that. um, A lot of people have that sentiment. A lot of just average Chinese people have that sentiment. No, Sean specifically. I remember he said that too. I remember we're kind of messing around about this, and he said, "Just you know, for fun, joshing around," and then he's just like, "No, no, no." To reclaim. China as it was at like its zenith greatest no but there's a there's an actual um um French word for this it's called revanchism which means uh revan mean it comes from the word revenant and something that revival you know a, a regaining of the past territory I think the it comes from the Prussians wanting to get or the French something about the French and the Prussians they had some lost territory they wanted to get it back I know I'm kind of yeah, being it's, superficial it's, it's, it's not just about China, it. But China's Well China's really funny because it's again, this goes beyond like the the thing when you have a culture that old is that this goes past like modern um political borders, right? And so so China I, I had a buddy, um, he was in Taiwan and so he was military too and he's just kinda of backpacking through Taiwan. He stops at this hostel and uh there's a there's a Taiwanese soldier there, <clears throat> you know they're hanging out drinking and doing push up contests and shit, right? As soldiers are want to do. Yeah. And <laughs> and and so my buddy starts giving him shit like, hey man, so when's the uh, when's the fucking uh, you know the army gonna storm the mainland take it back? And he's like, oh, that's happening. Oh, it's gonna yeah. fucking happen. Mm-hmm. But no, this yeah. this is the funny part is then he's like, we just gotta be real careful about the timing. And they're like, why is that? My buddy's like, why is that? And he's like. Oh, well, you know, because then the fucking the, the Inner Mongolians, the Tibetans, and the fucking Hong Kongers are gonna fucking think that they can break off. I mean, we we own them too. It's just mm, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's what I'm telling Taiwan you. But yeah, yeah, claims pretty much which which is the same that stuff China that China, China does. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, they were the first modern. Um, I think uh, they've let go of that for the most the, part. The but younger China generation, has not. the the younger generation, really has. Yeah, China, but has. not in China. No, no. Not even, I wonder, not even the younger generation. Some more so. You can No, because it's and this is where it comes in really the crackdown on on education and, and media where mm. you see the effects of censorship because these outside opinions I've known people in China who are 
like this is news to them. Like, oh, what do you think about Tibet? And they're like, what about it? It's always been China. It's always been Chinese. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That I would kind of and, and yeah. the same thing Taiwan. Like, yeah, yeah Ta- Taiwan's just like it's China. Like, it's always been China, sort of thing. And there's uh, just nothing to question. Yeah, like in there's the education. It, exactly. This is what it is. They were taught that from from very early on. Like for a lot of them, I mean, the conflict with Taiwan and stuff. It's it's not even a thing. Like. It's maybe if they hear about it, it's just some weirdos over there talking shit. There's no basis to it, right? So, I mean, that's... But it's... I don't know the like exact figure or even estimate, but I feel like a, a decent percentage of those that go overseas kind of... It's surprising how quickly they'll change the... Well, it's crazy how they go back because if you recall, <laughs> uh, Xi Jinping was... Uh, he was like a study oh, yeah. abroad student, like but Ohio or some shit. But yeah, he was, yeah, 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 he was. He yeah. he, he studied here in the states. But w- he nukes all of the period. world, ex- all of all the U.S. except um, that one place but he was, think, went to I mean, study. He's more unique situation because of his family. Sure, his family's background. Well, I mean, it's he came from a kind of a to do that. modest background, right? He was like, uh, uh, no, his dad was like some high leader, and they've the been in the party since party. the party started. Yeah. I know. I was just trying to be satirical. I was. I was going to say he was. He was a pig farmer that rose up to the highest I mean, land did, of the office. He did have everything. Like it was. It's like crazy stories. Like <coughs> things they did to his dad. Actually, I think they killed his dad. Right. Probably. That's like cra- the party killed his dad, and then <laughs> I guess he's ruling it now. So it's like. <laughs> but di- but didn't he do a, a internal crackdown on his um whatever the corruption inside mm-hmm. the Communist Party? That was actually good. That aspect was no, no, it was good. I think it's it's more of a targeting enemies. His he has um, political foes. It's okay, kind of cover. On, on its outset, it looked good because <laughs> <laughs> people, no, no. people do <laughs> take advantage. Well, they take advantage of the Chinese culture, giving gifts. And I such. mean, the only thing that's really going to crack down on corruption in China is implementation of technology. It's the only way to really get. I. That's the only yeah. way, which is which is a. You know, it's funny. Double, double-edged sword. Double-edged yeah, sword, of course. Yeah. I can't believe we turned this into a, a Chinese geopolitical <laughs> discussion <laughs> after Musashi. Yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. Should we end with Musashi? <laughs> it's almost 45 minutes. I wonder, hmm? I wonder what China thinks about the elections. Okay. It's time to stop. You almost got me. It's time to stop. <laughs> this close. <laughs> that's what happens when... <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it. I was about to just <laughs> run with it. <laughs> you know, I just got my meal paid for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the. Uh, I'm if you wouldn't have like broken. That's <laughs> it. I'm getting me mallet. <laughs> Clearly, this was not meant to be a Musashi we, Miyamoto episode. We, we here at the cynics. Have zero political opinions. No, <laughs> not at all. We just <laughs> philosophize all day. Yes, <laughs> that's what we do. Politically neutral. So nobody, fe- nobody yeah. feel that you're, you can't jive with us politically because yeah. we're we're like plastic. I mean, we're eventually gonna talk about Ted Kaczynski. So oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> it's hardcore. So okay. we're not. We're gonna we're gonna explore every avenue, as this as the 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 Kennicks did. Yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, to sum it up, 
Musashi, real great guy. I recommend reading either the novel, uh, Musashi, uh, or the manga, Vagabond. Or watch some movies if you are a lazy shit. I won't judge you. But uh, he's an interesting guy to look into. Or read the Book of Five Rings if you uh, are into that sort of stuff. It's, it's good stuff. He's got nothing on the last samurai. I can imagine the... the <laughs> I, he I can he Im- is the last samurai. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine the people in the comments are like, why is there geopolitics in my philosophy show? Because <laughs> get with it. Um, yeah, get with it. <laughs> they can still hear you. Good. They can hear me playing the violin. They can hear me laugh. <laughs> it says, "Hey, he says you're in Latin. Civis pacem parabellum. You know what that means? It means if you if you want peace, prepare for war. If you want peace, prepare for war." Through strength, let them fucking fear. So we have no political leanings, <laughs> I swear. So long as they respect. 